Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, and welcome to episode 30 of the Karma Sense Foodcast. I'm Davey H., and this is the Save the World episode. Save the world through donuts. Oh, the nostalgia of hearing the original Foodcast theme, reminiscent of the 1970s movie Love Scene Music at 78 RPM. It reminds me of eyeing the girls at my local donut shop on our way home from junior high school. Because back then, donuts were local. No Krispy Kreme, no Dunkin', or Winchell's if you live on the west side. But local donuts are back. And we'll meet a local donut entrepreneur, Rob Krupika, in this episode of the Foodcast. Longtime listeners wouldn't immediately think donuts have a place in the world of karma sense. But as you'll learn from Rob, you'll find out why it's a perfect subject. And what will also help is this rant. Yes, this is the Foodcast, but here I am about to go on a rant about my whole saving the world obsession. This rant is based on a book I once read called The Karma Sense Eating Plan, which proposed the inextricable link between our eating habits and our relationship with the world around us. The plan further proposed a way we could all be healthy, be happy, and, oh yeah, save the world. Because I don't believe any single one of those concepts, being healthy, being happy, or saving the world, can exist on its own. And I believe food is something that links the three. In 1943, Abraham Maslow introduced a theory of human motivation to the field of behavioral psychology. His theory includes what he called the hierarchy of needs. You may have seen this hierarchy depicted as a layered pyramid with the most basic needs for life in the bottom layer, supporting less critical needs as you move up towards the peak. While upper-level needs may not be required for you to survive, They are critical if you want to thrive. And the layers from top to bottom go physiological needs, safety, love and belonging, esteem, and self-actualization. The models changed over time, but that part's pretty much been static. The theory goes that until lower-level needs, the ones focused on health, are satisfied, upper-level needs, which are all about happiness and world-saving, are on the back burner. So what are those lower-level physiological needs that are all about health? They include air, water, food, protection from the elements, so shelter and clothing, and up for debate as to if and where it belongs is sexy time, but specifically sexy time for the purpose of procreation and not for the emotional or physical pleasure it brings. And that's pretty much the basic order and priority, from most important to least important within the physiological layer. You can only go a few minutes without air. You can go several days without water. And you can go several weeks and even months without food. And when it comes to shelter or doing it, while they are physiological needs, as long as you're not in extremely harsh conditions like sub-zero temperatures or led to the castle anthrax by a grail-shaped beacon as in the movie Monty Python and the Holy Grail, 
not be so ungallant as to refuse our hospitality. Well, I, I go. Oh, I'm afraid our life must seem very dull and quiet compared to yours. We are but eight score young blondes and brunettes, all between 16 and 19 and a half, cut off in this castle with no one to protect us. Oh, it is a lonely life. Bathing, dressing, undressing, making exciting underwear. As long as you're not in those conditions, you can go indefinitely without shelter in Coochie Coochie. And yes, that was a Charo reference, because I'm old. Food is the most basic of physiological needs that still affords us the luxury of time to at least dabble in those upper layers of Maslow's hierarchy of needs that focus on being healthy and saving the world. That's a dense and maybe controversial hypothesis, so let me repeat it, and please take exception if you disagree, because those kind of intellectual discussions help foster my own self-esteem and actualization. Food is the most basic of physiological needs that still affords us the luxury of time to at least dabble in love, belonging, esteem, and self-actualization. Please send all complaints to DaveyH at KarmaSenseWellness.com. Belief in that statement is why, in the Karma Sense Eating Plan, the author, who granted, he's a pretty weird dude, links small, intentional, not-so-random acts of kindness to mealtime. They belong together, like peanut butter and bacon. Ooh, bacon! That's right, peanut butter and bacon. You have a problem with that? Part of the theory of the Karma Sense Eating Plan is that those small, intentional, not-so-random acts of kindness have a network effect that amplifies to ultimately make the world a better place. It's the crowdsource way of saving the world. The more people who participate, the faster and greater the effect. The only problem is, I can't prove it. I mean, the author of the Karma Sense Eating Plan couldn't prove it. Although it just makes sense to me, it's a leap of faith. The whole concept of good karma has little to no science behind it. And believe me, I search far and wide for that proof. Because that's what I do. I was more successful in finding studies authored by people named karma than I was finding studies about karma. There are individual studies of note. A joint paper by Duke University, Go Devils, huh, and Penn State, Go, no, never mind, found that kindergartners who were ranked high by teachers for getting along with others performed better academically as they grew. Research by Adam Grant of the University of Pennsylvania Go Quakers, because when you're thinking of aggressive people, you're thinking Quakers. That study confirmed that the best-performing organizations were stocked with people he classified as givers, folks who are other-focused. But these are observational studies in behavioral science. Observational studies don't prove cause and effect, and behavioral research, unlike research in hard science, is too frou-frou to come to strong conclusions. When it comes to showing cause and effect, Randomized control trials are where it's at. And lo and behold, what should I find but a randomized control trial from the University of California, San Diego, Go Tritons. And I don't know what a Triton is either, but it turns out it's either a Greek god or a kind of mollusk. I assume UCSD Tritons are mollusks. Anyway, a University of California, San Diego study conducted a randomized control trial that showed that when people benefit from kindness, 
They pay it forward by helping others not originally involved in that first act of kindness. And those beneficiaries of the original beneficiaries pass it along too. Now, behavioral research in a lab setting is also problematic because in the real world, behavior, our behavior, is influenced by the flutter of a butterfly wing in Brazil, or whatever the premise was of that ridiculous Ashton Kutcher movie. But the findings are enough to give me hope that the KarmaSense eating plan premise is on target, and that people who focus on the happiness and well-being of others are likely to make progress in that endeavor, and in turn thrive themselves. My guest is someone who, like me, cut his teeth in technology, and could have rested on his laurels in that field, but instead became restless to make a difference. Rob Krupika served on my town's city council, and in our commonwealths, because Mrs. H would kill me if I said states, in our Commonwealth's legislature. He then moved into the food service industry, making and selling high-end artisan donuts, which on the surface seems like abandoning the idea to make a difference. But as you listen to his story, you'll find he went from talking the talk to walking the walk. As he builds a business that has the welfare of its customers, employees, and their community at the heart of everything that business does. And the donuts and coffee and cocktails? Yes, cocktails are PFG, which stands for pretty great. Next up, Rob Krupika. I'd like to welcome to the Foodcast today, Rob Krupika. Rob is the owner-operator of Sugar Shack Donuts and Captain Gregory's in Alexandria, Virginia. And we're going to explore what that actually means. So welcome, Rob. Thank you for having me. Rob, before we get into what you're currently doing, could you share your background? I have a very eclectic background. I started my career in the tech industry, doing online financial services for about 10 years. And, and then that overlapped with a start in public service that I did for about 15 years almost, 12, 12 15 years. And then while in public service, I did a lot of work with nonprofits. And then I left public service to uh, make donuts and open restaurants. So what inspired you to make that transition? The truth is, I thought I could do donuts and public service together. Uh, And I probably could in five or six years. But the life of a startup and a small business is much more intense and, I think, uh, time-consuming than folks would assume. And it just became really clear to me about a year into the business venture that I couldn't do politics and the business venture and have them both be successful. So there's a chance you would go back into politics. Maybe. You know, I've always told folks I'm not going to say never. It's not part of my five or ten year plan, but it's also not something I've ruled out. You know, there's a lot about public service I really like. I admire those who are in it. But I'm really happy doing what I'm doing right now. So it would take a lot to bring me back. Yeah. So there's so many different ways you can go in the in the food industry, and you, you focused on one or two, actually. So, I, yeah, I've tried to focus on things that really make people happy, right? There's restaurants that serve the utilitarian purpose of just providing you a good quality meal um, or your family an inexpensive meal. And I made a very conscious choice to focus on things that have a high-quality element and also just a high happiness element like things that make people happy that you do for the sheer enjoyment of it you know you you don't typically buy a donut because you need a donut you buy a donut because of the joy you get from Mm -hmm. it 
and you buy a donut for the joy it gives to others when you give it to them. So it's, you know, it's a gifting, it's a pay it forward kind of product and I really like that about it. And then we also incorporate into our business model a lot of work with charities. We incorporate a lot of work giving away donuts to different organizations. We hire people who may have, because of their backgrounds, harder times getting jobs in other places, but we uh, find they're they're outstanding employees and and don't feel bad at all about giving them a chance. We've had a lot of success with that. But but we're trying to make the business model around the donuts kind of, there's a real doing good component to it, and we really like that. Captain Gregory's, which is kind of my little secret bar hidden inside the donut shop in Alexandria, you know, it's all high quality, handcrafted. We're getting amazing reviews from the Washingtonian and the Washington Post and others who are all kind of finding this small little 24-seat place and saying it's one of the best in the district uh, in, the whole, in the whole DMV. Uh, that's pretty cool. Uh, and when we sought out to do it, you know, we didn't quite know what it would become. We, it was a real Captain Gregory's more so than the Sugar Shack Donut uh, part of the business, Captain Gregory's is a real labor of love. It's just we wanted to create a place that we would want to go. Okay. And I definitely want to explore the do-good uh, do good component that has a kind of ongoing theme within this particular show, is using food to do good. I want to get a little bit more into the design of the concept and everything mm-hmm. first. Sure. So... Uh, Sugar Shack, you imported from Richmond? I did. I, when I was in the legislature, I started, because of a friend's recommendation, started buying donuts from this local donut shop and having them delivered to my legislative office every week. And, we, and I'd get dozens. And then we'd have this big line of staff coming up to get donuts every Monday. I think we did it on Mondays or Tuesdays. And I reached out to the company, it was Sugar Shack, and they'd only been in business for less than a year at the time. And I reached out to Sugar Shack and I said, you need to come to Alexandria. And the guy who called me back was a college buddy of mine who I didn't know was associated. And he he and I started talking. And he's like, we're too busy, we're growing too fast, we can't handle going to Northern Virginia right now, nor do we really want to. Why don't you do it? And I thought about that for a while. And I came and spent a couple days in Sugar Shack watching the customers and watching the mm-hmm. you know, product being made and helping make the product. I came and did a night shift. I did the day shift. I wanted to see what the whole experience was like. And the thing that struck me more than anything else, actually two things struck me more than anything else. One, everyone leaving the store had a smile on their face. And the diversity of the line in the store was greater than any place I'd ever been better than Starbucks, better than any kind of normal coffee shop. You had everything from very high-income people to very low-income people to single moms with kids to kids to elderly to you know, middle-aged. You, you name it. And, and it was really powerful to me to see this product that's a little bit more expensive than your normal donut, but it's also much better quality and bigger. Uh, this product attracting this incredibly diverse customer base. And I, I was like, that's really cool. Like, where do you see a product that has the ability to draw from so many different segments of society? So that, plus the fact that Sugar Shack and Richmond had a commitment to doing good as well, were both probably the hooks that sold me. And uh, decided I would try it up in Alexandria. And, uh, you know, it's been a huge success from day one. We've been really surprised. It, it kind of exceeded our expectations in Alexandria quite a bit. And we didn't even have a sign on the door for the first year in Alexandria, and it's still people found us. And it's been a lot of fun. We've learned a lot. You, know, you kind yeah. of you, starting a small business, you jump off a cliff. You know, I started. I jumped off a cliff. I, I wrote a license agreement with these guys. I, they signed it, put a whole bunch of money down for a lease and for opening the store, and jumped. 
and, you, and, and had no idea what I was doing. Right. And you, you have a rich business background, but you've never done anything like this. I never done anything like this. I mean, I did food service all through high school and all through college, but that's the extent of it. I, you know, I've always had kind of the romantic view of a restaurant that a lot of folks have had, but never done it before. It, okay. It's a, it's a certainly, it is certainly a, a more challenging experience than I than I expected. With the one caveat, it's a lot like politics. It's a lot like politics in, 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 in a couple of ways. You know, one, uh, it's kind of 24 by 7. Mm-hmm. You always have to be on call and available. Two, it's a people job. Right. Whether it be your employees or your customers, it's all about people. Uh, and politics is you know, sure. 90% all about people. Uh, and you're dealing with people who are unhappy or frustrated or need help with something or need a problem solved or whatever the case may be. And that's kind of what politics is too. And... And it's a life. It's a lifestyle job in the sense that you know you do this. You're you're doing it. Right. You're in. You're in. You're, you're, in, you're all in. It, hard to walk away from it, right? right? So it's politics. Politics is kind of a lifestyle job. Hard to walk away for long periods of time. So I, all of those things, I think, make it very. You know, I was prepared for the lifestyle impact of a of a job in the food industry. Mm-hmm. The rest of it was just figuring out kind of the details okay. and. Uh, a lot of that's hiring good people. I put a lot of work into hiring and mentoring staff. And, you know, I'm not a micromanager. I'm not a great person who gets down in there and tries to get in the weeds with folks. And hiring good people allows me to keep my head a little bit higher up in the clouds and focus on growth and things like that. Yeah, from our experience, great service there. 90%, Efficient. 95% of the time, yeah. We get it wrong every once in a while, but we're pretty uh, yeah, good. Uh, yeah, no one's perfect. So you move the, the Sugar Shack concept up, and it's the aspect of meeting the needs of a diverse customer base and making it fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, you certainly selected a location in the Alexandria area where you could attract a diverse customer base. We did that on purpose. You know, we did it, one, because the lease cost was affordable, and two, because it would give us a diverse customer base and put us near some employees, too. We're able to stay open on snow days because I have employees who live in the neighborhood around the store. I know other businesses that can't stay open on snow days because their employees live too far away. As far as the injection of fun, certainly what you offer, it's not just your typical jelly or glazed donut. You offer a lot of different flavors. We make a lot from... Everything in the store is is handmade. All of our glazes are handmade. We probably have a few hundred varieties and we're always adding new ones. I've got pastry chefs who are coming up with new glazes all the time. The guys in Richmond are also coming up with new flavors. We share them back and forth. There's a lot of collaboration with them. Um, so it, it is an it is a ever-growing uh, array of flavors. The hardest challenge we have is certain customers have one flavor they love, and it may not be the one we do that often because yeah. it's not as popular for, with everyone. And it can be a little bit tricky because people will come in looking for that one flavor and... We just, with hundreds of varieties, we can't have every flavor every day. So to, despite your being a licensee, you have a great deal of autonomy. and Lots of flexibility, yeah. lots of autonomy to be creative, yeah. We obviously can't do anything that hurts the brand or hurts, sure. the, hurts the quality of the product, but we don't have any interest in doing that. So. And you have some great flavors. I think today's special flavor is Jolly Rancher. Jolly Rancher is usually very good. Uh, they're often... We did uh, peanut butter and jelly the other day, which yeah. doesn't come around very often, but it's very popular. You've done the, you, you've done the I think, the fried chicken and maple. And, and we'll probably bring fried chicken back again uh, in the spring. It was very popular last year. It's a, and, we're, and we're looking for some other kind of wow donuts that we can bring, you know, have, have for limited periods of time. The big donut in March is our uh, Irish dough bomb. 
It's a um, Jameson glaze with an Irish cream filled donut. It's pretty amazing. I remember that one. You, you had one too with uh, Guinness Stout, I think, at one point. So this one has Guinness Stout in the dough. Okay. So it has Guinness Stout in yeah. the dough, Jameson in the chocolate glaze. Yeah, that's a good one. And then an Irish cream filling. It's a crazy good donut. We'll have it most of October, most of March. I mean, and it it will be very popular. And you do the whole panoply of kitty cereals too. So you got your Cap'n Crunch and your Apple Jacks, etc. Yeah, the kids cereals are really popular. It's, we have to have if we don't have those Saturday morning, we're in trouble. Okay. Another fun thing you do is give people the opportunity to score a free donut. Today, because it, we're recording this on President's Day, it was uh, singing, I think, the chorus of Warren's Cherry Pie. That's right. It often involves doing songs or acting out things or bringing uh, some kind of uh, scavenger hunt type of thing yes. here. Who comes up with those? So we all do. Everyone's played a part in coming up with them. The For the first year, one of my business partners did. For the second year, I did. And now we actually collaborate really closely with Richmond, and we all share ideas back and forth so that we're pretty consistent. We change some things in Alexandria and Arlington based on local custom and activities but for the most part, we all kind of make sure there's consistency across all the Sugar Shack stores. It's fun. People who follow us on Facebook can or Twitter can find out every day what they need to do to earn a free donut. Most of the time, it's pretty doable. We have customers who come in almost daily for their free donut. I don't know if they've ever paid for a donut. Uh, they maybe buy a cup of coffee, but they don't pay for a donut. And we also have people come in periodically. There's kids in the neighborhood who will come in every day and try to figure out what it is. Sometimes the questions are kind of outside the range of what they, they can answer. Um, my staff actually does a lot to help those kids figure out what the answer is That's so they can get a free donut. Why the Lord came up with YouTube and yeah. Google anyway. So, Okay, lots of different diverse flavors. You allow people to come in and score a free donut. Yep. You also have some great coffee drinks. We do. We work with Zeke's, which is a local roaster in D.C. and Baltimore. It's really awesome coffee. We also, Sugar Shack roasts some coffee in Richmond, too, which we use from time to time, which is also very good. We can pretty much do any drink that any of the other guys can do. We use less automated machines. So, you know, to use Starbucks as an example, you know, making a drink at Starbucks is really a matter of pressing a couple buttons, and it's going to kind of give you a pre-determined beverage. We don't give our employees that much simplicity in the process they really have to know how to make a drink i'm using a much more manual kind of espresso machine we think it makes a better product we put a little bit more usually put more shots in a drink than you would get at a starbucks so you're getting kind of a higher coffee flavor than you would normally do and we can make anything that they're doing plus a whole bunch of other things that we think are pretty special the coffee part of our business is not one we get asked a lot about but it's actually something i think we do really well and is actually pretty unique because of the diversity of what we can offer as well as the quality. Yeah, yeah there's some, there, again, there's very creative flavors. And now I know too that they're handcrafted. So speaking of handcrafted, handcrafted cocktails. How do we get to handcrafted cocktails? Okay, so I, how I get there is you walk in through the front door mm-hmm. of Sugar Shack and uh, unbeknownst to anyone is a door immediately to your right. Yeah. But it doesn't look anything like a door. It looks like a wall with a rope. That's right. And, and, and if we're open, there's a flag. And if you pull the flag, the door will slide open. Captain Gregory's was a fun thing to create. We decided early on that we wanted to balance out the business model a little bit. We weren't sure how premium donuts would do in Alexandria. And we wanted to have another aspect of the business that would provide some financial 
kind of risk management, so to speak. So I mean, that's the business justification for why Captain Gregory's exists. Why Captain Gregory's is not something else is actually really simple. We all liked cocktails. We were all sitting around talking about cocktails being kind of a fun thing. And I liked speakeasies. And we didn't feel like anyone had really kind of hit the, the hammer on the nail, so to speak, when it came to doing speakeasies the way we would like them to be done. So... We combined all those ideas together and we said, you know, handcrafted donuts, handcrafted cocktails, that makes sense. Donuts and cocktails is kind of an evening gathering around the table kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Sounds pretty cool. And we thought the idea that the flavors that you make when you're putting together a good cocktail and the flavors you're doing when you're trying to create neat and interesting glazes, actually there's some real interesting synergies there. And our bartender has come up with some amazing glazes because... You know, your brain's kind of thinking about the same thing. How do you combine flavors together? And so we've made some pretty neat glazes using our bartender's uh, input uh, for, for Sugar Shack. So that's all how we kind of, that was the, the genesis of the idea. How we got to the name Captain Gregory's was really simple. We started reading books on donut history. And it, Captain Gregory's a real guy in donut history. He was an 1840s Maine sea captain who invented the hole in the donut. His mom, Elizabeth, would send him to sea with donuts, which at that time were basically fried dough with some interesting spices and maybe nuts in the middle of them, but they didn't have the hole out. Nuts were in the soft part in the middle, and that's hence donuts. And he, you know, whether it was at a storm or something else, you know, the, the, the legend is he speared his donut on the ship's wheel and thought, oh my goodness, if we cook them without the hole, with a hole in the middle, they would be cooked better. And he went home and told his mom, and you know the rest is history. But we uh, we thought Captain Gregory was a pretty cool name. Alexander's a seaport town. It kind of sounded neat to have a seaport name. And we thought the hole in the donut shop should be named after the guy who invented the hole in the donut. So oh, okay. that was kind of the genesis of it. And we designed the space. I think that when you're designing a cocktail restaurant or a restaurant in general, you kind of want a backstory. So Captain Gregory's kind of gives you a natural backstory. And we wanted the space to feel like you were in Captain Gregory's garage a little bit. Like if he had kind of gone up and taken a bunch of furniture out of his mom's house and thrown it into the garage mm-hmm. uh, and turned it into a cocktail bar, that's kind of what Captain Gregory's is. It, we, we, we didn't try to be time, you know, 1840s specific or anything like no. that. But we just, we wanted it to have kind of a garage feel and we wanted it to have a bunch of antique furniture in it so that it would have this kind of vibe of someone filling the garage with old furniture and then turning it into a bar. And that's that's essentially the essence of Captain Gregory's. And it's getting great great reviews. I mean, it, it is blowing us away with the level of press we're getting. And we've only been around for 18 months, so I can't wait to see what happens. And the kitchen expands beyond donuts. Yeah, we spent a lot of time trying to figure out the food model for Captain Gregory's. And we started with kind of more traditional bar food. This fall, we hired a very skilled chef. And we now have... A really impressive food menu. Uh, yeah. So you can come in and you can get really nice appetizers, but you can get a full meal. And we have a tasting menu that's getting some pretty serious mm-hmm. positive reviews. It's not, it, it is not kind of basic food anymore. It is really significant. If you're a foodie and doesn't like cocktails, Captain Gregory is still worth going to. Yeah. And the environment, to use a word, I guess it's popular today, is very chill. It is a chill space. We, you know, that's part of the whole. So, you, you know, I don't want to bash other speakeasies because there's really cool ones out there, but we didn't want to be formal. We didn't want to dress code. A lot of speakeasies have dress codes. We wanted people to be able to come in in a suit or come in in shorts and be comfortable. We didn't want any TVs or things like that, and most speakeasies don't have TVs. That's kind of a, 
uh, not allowed. We, it's meant to be a place you can actually talk to your, the people you're with. We didn't want it to be big, so it would feel a little bit exclusive, and my bartenders could focus on the quality as opposed to the quantity of drinks. Once you get to a certain size, the bartenders have to focus on speed, not on quality. That's just the reality of a bar. We wanted to make sure it, could, it would be romantic, you know, so that it was a great date night, but it didn't have to feel so romantic that no one else would want to go. Uh, and I think we've achieved that. You know, one of the things Open Table has, we've been ranked by Open Table, I think, is the most is the best ambiance in the D.C. area, mm-hmm. um, or at least in the top three or something like that. And we've worked really hard on the ambiance. It's got a real, you know, it's a real special ambiance. You see lots of couples there. You see lots of women out with their friends. You see lots of, you'll see guys on weeknights in, you know, on business trip type situations or women coming in on business trip situations. We get a really nice cross-section and quite all age groups. I've been really surprised at, at the range of ages that we see in Captain Gregory's. After getting the lay of the land with Rob and his business, it was time to discuss his efforts towards helping the community. We get to that next. A lot of activities, both formal activities and just also embedded into your business. So as far as formal activities, you do a lot of sponsorships for events. Yep. You have a, a program called Donuts for Good. Mm-hmm. Talk a little bit about that. Donuts for Good is something that started uh, with the Richmond guys, and we really love it, so we continue to do it. There are cards people can buy. Anyone come in the store and buy a Donuts for Good card. It's We will basically sell you a card at a discount on the face value of a donut. Uh, and what the card allows you to do is give it to a, a student, give it to someone helping someone cross the road, giving it to anyone in your workplace or that you see out on the street that you think is doing a good deed of any kind, and they can come in and redeem it for a donut. Uh, we don't charge you the price of a full donut to do it. Uh, we think it's just kind of a nice gesture to be able to thank people for doing nice things in the community. We give them out to nonprofits who give them to their volunteers. Mm. We give them to, we have a lot of parents who come in and buy them and then them and their kids give them out, which I think is a really neat tradition. I've talked to some of the moms and dads who come in and buy them and then they walk around the city and they and their kids give them out to people. That's pretty cool. Policemen and, and firefighters sometimes have them with them and give them out. We give them to them whenever they ask. So it's a pretty cool program. And I think we're, you know, our plan is for this year to expand how much we take advantage of it because we think it's a neat way of, of spreading um, kind of goodwill. And it's a good way for the police to expand their donut stereotype. It is. The police love getting into Twitter wars with me over, <laughs> over donuts. Your hiring practices, though, too, you, you are trying to make sure that you can reach out to people in the community who can really use the job. Yep. We try. We, we have from the beginning, and it's been really successful. We hire folks who may be ex-offenders or have other things in their background that make them hard to hire. They still have to be properly trained. They still have to have kind of some base level of experience. We work with a group called Together We Bake. They bring us employees sometimes, and together we bake trains female ex-offenders on how to work in kitchens. But we've also gotten folks from other programs similar to that. And it's proven to be really successful. We have not, and, and then we also hire people who don't come from a program, but we just, we know that they're an ex-offender, and, but we feel like they've met the, met the test. You know, I get a lot of questions about that because people ask about safety and other things, and, you know, my answer is always the same, you know. The employees we have who are ex-offenders, you wouldn't be able to tell the difference between them and the non-ex-offenders based on the quality of the work. You wouldn't be able to tell the difference based on the punctuality or kind of basic workplace demeanor. You wouldn't be able to tell the difference between them and the others based on pretty much anything. 
I think the only thing you might be able to sometimes tell the difference on is they tend to be more appreciative of the job they have and you know they're more committed to the organization as a result and that actually pays off as a benefit sure. for employees and everyone else it re- it requires some extra training sometimes it requires us to have pretty careful thoughtful hr practices we sometimes have to give folks a few chances to kind of get their act together so that they can be successful but we have a number of employees who have been with us from the beginning we started and it's really rewarding to see them continue to grow and be successful so it's a model we plan to continue as we go into D.C., and it's one that we think is also is a good business practice, but also just kind of makes sense for society. We can't, you know, we, I don't think it makes any sense to ignore people who are, who've paid their, you know, whatever their, their due is, and, you know, not giving them a chance to get ahead doesn't doesn't help any of us. Any success story that you can, that comes to mind? Yeah, I probably can't talk about employees specifically. We've had some people come and go. To be to be clear, some people have gone to go on to better things because they started with us and then they were able mm-hmm. to move on to better things, which is kind of nice to see. Sure. I, I try to tell my staff that you know a long-term career in the kitchen of the donut shop is probably not what they should be focusing on as their goal. You know, there should be some plans to move up in the world in some way. The uh, I have some managers who started. You know, kind of with a background, and that we were quite frankly not sure how they would, how successful they would be, and they really surprised us. I, I certainly think, like for me, the big lesson from all of this is, you can sometimes tell in an interview a lot about a person, but you, but you can't always. And some of my best employees now are people that when they interviewed with me, I probably would have guessed they wouldn't have lasted more than a few months. And they've surprised me at their ability to kind of come in and be successful and get it together. And that's actually been a good lesson for me that, you know, we have to be careful not to overjudge people on your first interaction because they can really surprise you. A few more questions? Yeah. What is your favorite flavor? (laughs) What is my favorite flavor? So my go-tos are cinnamon sugar and blueberry cake. They're not the fanciest flavors in the the world, but if I'm going in the morning and I just want a donut to have with a cup of coffee, it's probably one of those two. There are specialty flavors we do that I love, uh, but those are the two, like, mainstays, and we have those most every day, almost every day, so... What a coincidence, your favorite ones you have almost every day. Yeah, it's actually more just because they're popular with a lot of people, not just me. <laughs> so of your specialty flavors, is there one that's like the all-out most popular? So I think our we do a blackberry bourbon, which is amazing, I th- and we don't do it very often. I think it's pretty spectacular when we do it. Um, really, really special, wonderful donut. Uh, we do it. We did an apple pie filled donut last year that was incredible, and we're going to keep bringing that one back. It just was really phenomenal. Uh, we did a lemon meringue pie filled one last year that was also incredible. We're going to try to, th- those are ones that take a lot of labor to put together, and they're they're not just a quick make donut, they're a high labor donut, but they're super good, and we're trying to make sure at least monthly we have a couple of those donuts around that are high, uh, high effort, but also high impact. Okay. They can't all be winners. Any just abject failure you can think of? Have we had any abject failure? So I'm not trying to be coy. I can't think of one. We've certainly had some that we probably don't rotate a lot because they're not as popular as others. I'll be honest. I don't like the lavender donut at all, and it's super popular with lots of people. I just don't like eating lavender. So it's really hard for me to eat the lavender donut, but other people love the lavender donut. So it keeps showing up in the case, but it's not one I'll try. 
I'm trying to think what has what has just been uh, successful. We just haven't tried hard enough to come up with a disgusting donut. We're pretty careful, you know. Something doesn't hit the case without a little bit yeah. of practice or a little bit of effort. So it's hard for something to get in the case and not have at least a little bit of popularity. Uh, that's just the. I think it's the kind of the reality of it. We're pretty careful. Yeah, I have to, I have to think about that for the future. See if I can come up with a better example. Okay. Anything else you want to say? We're coming to the conclusion of this interview, and I will put. Uh, relevant links up on the show notes so that people know how to I, you know, I think the last thing I would say is, you know, the part of this business, you know, we really see ourselves as a community business. You know, we obviously want to be a part of the community. We work with nonprofits. We work with schools. We do all those kinds of things. And it is hard for small startups to make it in this world. It, it just is. And, you know, the Starbucks of the world sign exclusives that make it impossible for me to get in shopping centers all over the area because I sell coffee and Starbucks won't let anyone who has coffee get near them. Other chains or other large national organizations have other kinds of exclusivities that make it hard for businesses like mine or others to get there. I was talking to a pizza place the other day that is a local pizza place and can't get into a lot of locations because the large national chains have exclusivities that block them out. And then on top of that, financing a small business is hard because the big national banks, which we all bank with for the most part, only like to give money to the big established brand names. They don't like lending money to small businesses until they're so proven that it's almost right. past the point of being needed. So the community banks are really an essential part of the economy to make businesses like mine possible. Mm-hmm. If we didn't have community banks, I wouldn't be sitting here right now. So I say all that to say, I think that you know a lot of us live in places where we want to support these kinds of businesses, the small ones who uh, give us some unique community character. And I would just say supporting them should also mean supporting lots of them and also supporting the financial institutions that make them possible because I couldn't do this if if I had to rely on the big-name banks. Okay. All right. And I I have a lot of uh, local listeners, so I hope that they will patronize Sugar Shack if they don't already. I can't imagine they don't. I have listeners outside of this area, too, and I hope you really look at your local businesses as as, uh, places that you prefer to shop at. And thank you very much, Rob. Thank you. I asked Rob for a tour of the Sugar Shack and Captain Gregory's kitchen. He said it wasn't much, but kindly agreed. His shop is not in a big space, so we converged on a Monday afternoon for the tour because it's when things are relatively quiet. Sugar Shack is on a busy street. It's U.S. Route 1 in Alexandria, the same U.S. Route 1 that runs from the border of Maine and Canada to Key West, Florida. As we discussed in the interview, it's not some hipster part of town. It's several blocks from the quaintness Alexandria is known for. You can get a flavor by viewing my Facebook Live posts, complete with unintelligible narration, by going to the show notes at karmasensewellness.com slash foodcast. I walk in the door and it's busier than I would have expected. Rob is talking to a toddler whose face is covered with chocolate and sprinkles. Take Me Home by Cash Cash is playing on the speakers, a song that I recognize for some reason I'll never figure out. Let's begin the tour. You get chocolate with sprinkles? Wow. How do you know? He's so shy. You guys have any love? Yeah. That's good. Yeah, and while I got a great five-minute tour, yours ends here. 
Because that weird background noise you started hearing towards the end? No, not Take Me Home by Cash Cash, but this noise. Wound up on the whole rest of the recording. But you can see pictures on the show notes. To me, what was most surprising was as good as the food is at Captain Gregory's, the kitchen space for it and for preparing the cocktail ingredients is no larger than the kitchen in a Manhattan studio apartment. It's really small. At the conclusion of the tour, I stayed behind and got one of Sugar Shack's handmade coffee drinks and two donuts to bring home for Mrs. H and me to share later. We got a peanut butter s'more flavor and a maple bacon. Ooh, bacon. That's right, bacon. You got a problem with that? I also picked up half a dozen donuts for doing goods cards. I know donuts aren't health food, but remember, unlike the rest of the KarmaSense media empire, the food cast isn't dedicated to healthy eating. Its focus is to learn about the people and processes that bring us our food and how to enjoy them in a way to help us all be healthy, happy, and save the world. Sugar Sack certainly covers two of those three. And so we bring the Save the World Through Donuts episode of the Foodcast to its exciting conclusion. I ranted about saving the world, but I linked it to food. We then met a guy, Rob Krupika, who makes donuts. And not just commercial sugar and fat bombs, but handmade creations that crank the decadence level up to 11. Best of all, he's running a business that's designed from the ground up to make people happy and to help people who need a second chance have that chance. It's good for the community. And as Rob describes, it's good for his business. If you'd like to support Rob, please visit Sugar Shack and Captain Gregory's at 804 North Henry Street, also known as Route 1, in Alexandria, Virginia, or his Arlington, Virginia store at 1014 South Glebe, one of Arlington's many fine glebes. And if you live on the other side of the Potomac, keep your ears out for the opening of his Shaw store in downtown D.C. If you don't live in the DMV or plan on visiting soon, you can still support the spirit by buying local. Also, bank local. I do my banking with Burke and Herbert, a local Virginia bank that also supports the community in a number of ways, including donating $100 to Alice's Kids for every goal the Washington Capitol score in 2017. Go Caps! And remember, I'm walking around with a dozen donuts for doing good cards in my pocket, and I'm looking to catch people in the act of doing good because your act of kindness is amplified by the recipients of those acts. I want to thank Rob again, and also thank you for listening to this episode of The Foodcast. You can support its efforts by subscribing and reviewing on iTunes. One more thing. I'll be doing an encore presentation of Karma Sense Eating, A Skeptic's Guide to Mindful Eating, at Dean's Natural Food Market in Chester, New Jersey in early June. Stay tuned for details, but until then... Remember what your old pal Bozo always says. What does your old pal Bozo always say? Just keep laughing. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.